Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 19 through 26, which you will find in the New Testament section of the Red Bible in front of you on page 168. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, chapter 15, verse 19. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I want to say it again. The Lord is risen. He is risen and I am grateful that you're here with us today. If you're joining us online, we're grateful that you're here and uh, that we can worship our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So today marks the second to the last in our lesson, in our teaching series. And if you've been with us since Ash Wednesday, actually, the night, Ash Wednesday night, we started this series that we've been calling Walking the Path, Choices for every disciple of Jesus. And the premise on which this series is built suggests that our world is filled with a multiplicity of paths and choices, and sometimes we are unsure which way to go. And I know all of us have hit that spot in life before. You are unsure which way to go. You're not sure what to believe. You're not sure how to behave. And today's reading is one more example of the complexity that's before us in living the way of Jesus in a culture that prevents, presents so many competing paths. I'm talking about death. 
I'm talking about death. It's not a topic that we enjoy talking about. It's something that we know we're all going to have to face at some time. We just don't know when. And so what many in our culture do today, we try to do everything we can to avoid talking about it, thinking about it. And then when we have to deal with it, we come up with other words to describe this reality. We say the person has passed on. They've transitioned. They've slipped away. And the thought, the thought that one day, one day we, all of us here in this room, a day will come when, when we will no longer exist is a very crippling thought for some people. And it begins to interfere with their daily quality of life. In fact, you know, there's a word for everything. Thanatophobia is what we're talking about. The fear, this intense fear of death or dying. And some of you are here today, you said, I'm not afraid of dying, and I said, good for you. But I guarantee you there's something that you're afraid of. There's something that keeps you up at night. For many people, though, this is one of the things that cripples people. Afraid of dying. Afraid of what will happen when I die. And then for some people, they wonder, when I die, what happens to me? Where do I go? And I think the reading that we just heard provides us with some possibilities to not just alleviate the fear, but to actually remove the fear. Because you see, when we place our God-given faith, and let me say why, God-given faith, it's because every one of you have God-given faith. For some of us, though, we are, we are misapplying that faith into other things, but every one of us, made in the image of God, we have the capacity to believe in God. Every one of us, when we place our God-given faith in the resurrected Christ, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear death. So the question I'm putting before you this morning is, how does the reality of Jesus' resurrection help us deal with the reality of death? We know it's coming, and we know that Jesus is risen. How does the reality of the resurrection help us? So first of all, I just want to thank all of you for praying for my family. We, um, we traveled to Jamaica on Palm Sunday, so I wasn't in church. And we went to Jamaica because a beloved aunt of ours that we've known and loved, loved for many, many years, our children grew up knowing her, had passed away. And she had said to me, when I die, I want you to come and do my service. Now, she's in, a, she's in an Anglican church. And I often joked with her, I said, Aunt Emma, you may have to come to my service. She said, no, 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 I'm serious. And so years ago, she put it in her plans that when she dies, we're to come and I'm to lead the service. And so we did. We did. And while we were home in Jamaica, we had the opportunity to visit a childhood friend who, uh, who actually introduced me to my wife. Um, she was my wife then, but we were 14 years old at the time. And my heart is heavy today because this good friend of mine is literally walking through what David called the valley of the shadow of death. See, earlier in January this year, we got the word that uh, his wife's mother had died. And um, the very next month, my friend's mother died. That's in February. 
And then in late March, Billy's wife died. Now, this happens to millions and millions of people around the world every day. People live in the shadow of death. But when it hits so close to home, it really, it really plays a number on you. Her funeral, my best friend's funeral, his wife's funeral, was on the same day as Judith's Aunt Emma's service. And so we decided to visit him the day before the service. And when we visited, my brother, I call him my brother from a, a different mother, his eyes were taped shut and I couldn't understand it. I said, what's going on? And he really didn't tell us the truth. We went to visit his brother, and his brother said, Billy's not being honest with you. He's actually blind from cancer. His eye, he'll never get his eyesight back. And then the doctors have told him there's nothing more that they can do for him. So I visited him on April 6th, and I still feel broken inside with sadness every day I think about him. Some people would look at my friend and say, well, he must have done something wrong. And so he's finally getting his punishment. You heard that one before? Other people look on and they conclude, well, you know, listen, man, this is the reason why I don't want to have anything to do with this God business, this fairy tale about God and so-called God's love for us. Because if God is really love, why would a loving God, and you could just fill in the sentence with a millions of add-ons, how could a loving God allow such unrelenting pain and death to descend on this man? Other people might say, well, you know, we all, you know, it's, it's, it's just bad luck. It's just the luck of the draw, some people say. So it's just a, just a bad break, and we just hope his luck changes. And when Judith and I met with him, of course, we, we didn't say any of those things. We sat there, first of all, just shocked, shocked about what was going on with him. Because, you see, back in December, we were back in Jamaica in December, because Judith's brother died, and we were there for the service. And every time we go to Jamaica, we've got to hook up with Billy and Helen. And we were sitting on their front porch, and we were just laughing and talking. And, and she's just an amazing cook and uh, just wonderful, wonderful people. And we were there on the front porch reconnecting. And then a few months later, we got the news she's, she's, she's gone. And these are people of deep faith. They raised two wonderful sons. They witnessed their sons marrying two wonderful women. And, uh, you know, some of you are grandparents, and you understand what that's like when you're a grandparent. You just want to tell the whole world. Even if it's about nuclear physics, you're going to say, by the way, I have a grandchild. You know that? And that's how they were. They were just excited about their grandchild. Wonderful people. And so we watched the service the next day. And we watched this large St. Andrew's Anglican church in Halfway Tree, filled to overflowing with friends and family. On the plane flying back to America, I opened my Bible to this morning's reading. And as I read the text and meditated on it, such rich content, it dawned on me why Billy and Helen never lost their joy. And I'm serious, they never lost their joy. They never lost their faith. They never lost their hope. They never gave up. It's all here in the reading that we just had. They placed their faith in the life and in the death 
and in the resurrection of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you do the same, what I can't guarantee, I can't guarantee you're not going to suffer. I can't guarantee that you're not going to have a hard time. But what I can guarantee you when you put all of your weight on Jesus is that he will understand because he suffered in a way that you will never, ever suffer. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? No. Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? No. Jesus understands what you're going through. Billy and his wife believed. They believed that Christ died for their sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The sad thing is, though, not everybody believes that. Not everyone believes that. Even today, 2,000 years ago, they're already throwing shade on that declaration. People just refuse flat out to believe that a man could die and come back from the dead. And within hours of Jesus' resurrection, you had the disciples saying, nope, 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 I, gotta see. I know the tomb is empty, but I've got to see it to believe it. And then the religious leaders, they said, look, the only explanation is that the disciples somehow overpowered our soldiers, stole the body, and now they're walking around Jerusalem and, and foisting this false narrative that he's alive. But what makes it even harder, you have to understand, in that ancient Mediterranean culture, the goal, the goal in life was to free the soul from the body. Ancient Greeks and Romans viewed the body as some dark, corrupt tomb from which the enlightened person struggled to be free, and they didn't ever want to return to it. So imagine the reaction of people living in the cities and the hamlets of that time. Everyone wants freedom from their corrupt bodies, and then these crazy, loony Christians come around talking about a bodily resurrection of a crucified criminal and that if you trust Jesus, you're going to be raised too. And they just rejected it. They laughed. They, they, they just chased them out of town. So what we have is this clash of worldviews. But in contrast, Christianity teaches that the body is simply not a husk to cast off. The gospel that we proclaim, the gospel that this church sings about, proclaims, that Jesus redeems the body, he redeems the soul, he redeems the spirit. And what this means for us this morning is that our bodies matter to the Lord. The Lord who created them will one day raise our bodies when Christ returns and without the resurrection of the Lord. Billy and his wife, as much as they invested in so many ways their lives in service to God, it would have just been a waste of time. So again, I come back to the question, how does the resurrection help us place faith in Jesus instead of placing our fear in death or in other things? One of the first things Paul does, he says, let me first of all handle this objection. Because there was an objection in the church. There were people saying, and if you have your Bibles open, we didn't read it, but it's there in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you be saying that there is no resur resurrection of the dead? And thankfully, Paul provides a very chilling response in verse 19, a very chilling response. He says, if, if as Christians our only hope is in this life, we are to be most pitied. Life would be pathetic. Life would be a joke. 
I love the way Eugene Peterson says it, that if, if all we get out of life, if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few years, that's all it is. You know, and for some people, the resurrection is a metaphor, is what they say. The resurrection is sort of a, it's a metaphor of, uh, you know, things are going to get better. You don't have to believe in it. Just the, the concept, the idea of overcoming, that's what it's about. Paul says, look, if that's what it is, then we are a sorry lot. If this life is all there is, then the question is still hanging out there. What happens when our heart stops beating? What happens when the brain stops firing and it's all over? What happens then what? And this is the question. Do we just go back to dust? Do we simply remain a memory? You go to many services today, memorial services, and people say, well, I'll always treasure this person in my mind. Is that all there is? Well, we can almost hear a sigh of relief as well as the cry of confidence with which Paul declares. He declares it right here. He says, but in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. And somebody said, and if I sound, if I sound a little irreligious, forgive me, but just go with me on this. This but must rank with the great buts of Scripture. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And while we were in Jamaica, and this just really made sense to me when I thought about it, while we were in Jamaica, it's mango season, and the limbs of these trees are bending low with the green mangoes. And when we arrived at, at Judith's sister's home, Marie, she gave us the first mango from her tree, the first mango. And when you look at the trees, you know this is not the only mango because there are many, many more to come. And what Paul is saying here, but we know that Jesus has become the first fruits. Jesus is the first of many resurrection fruits to come. And I know that a lot of, a lot of Christians struggle to understand this crucial point, but this is so important. The reason why we don't fear death is because Jesus is the first fruit and many, 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 many will come after him because he died and rose again from the dead. So too will we. Where Christ is, that's where we're going. We have this direct connection with Jesus. Our fate is settled. Our destiny is sure. But the second thing Paul helps us to do as we think about this question of death is that Paul helps us understand that while sin brought death, and that's really where the fear of death comes from, Jesus brings life. Let me read the text again that you heard. It says, for since death came through a human being, who is he referring to? He's referring to that first man in the scripture, Adam. For since death came through a human being and, and, and sin entered the world, death entered the world, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. Which human being? Jesus. For us all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And one of the reasons why I enjoy leading 
memorial services as I did in Jamaica, as I did with Judith's brother, is because it gave me the opportunity to stand there again and say, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And you think of all the loved ones that you know and care about who have died in Christ. Hold on, the show is not over yet. They're going to be raised again from the dead. The last thing Paul says to help us, he says, look, there is an end. There is an end to death. Look at this passage. Same one that we just read. Then comes the end. Then comes the end. You know, when I read that on the plane, I I started imagining just the disorder that's in the world. Some mornings I wake up and I say, this might be the morning I hear that the war in the Ukraine has stopped. This might be the morning when I hear that the violence and the wars in Yemen and in other parts of the world, that actually it stopped. This might be the morning when I hear there were no shootings on the street of Chicago. This might be the morning when I wake up and I hear that there is no more marriages breaking up. There's no more, no more hatred toward people of, of any color or ethnicity. This might be the morning, and every morning I wake up, I'm disappointed. But the Bible is telling us tonight, this morning, that there will come an end. And you should have said, amen. I'll take even a whisper on that. There comes the end. What does the end entail when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God, God the Father, after he has destroyed? I mean, that word actually means to put out of business. After Jesus has put out of business every ruler and every authority and every power, verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And notice that last line, verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Can you say amen to that? The last enemy, friends, can you imagine a day will come when death will be no more? No more tears, no more cancer, No more diabetes, no more suffering, no more violence, no more war. Christ will reign. And none of this makes sense if his body was still in the grave. But he rose again from the dead. He's alive forevermore. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's coming again. And he will judge the living and the dead. And he will hand the kingdom over to his father. So where are we living? We're living between the resurrection and the coming of Jesus. And until Christ returns, here is the struggle. We're going to continue to wrestle. We're going to continue to wrestle with depression and with discouragement and with suffering and with sickness and with trauma 
and with losses and with disappointments. And we are going to, my, my good friend, Billy, as he's suffering, this is, this is where he is. This is where we are. Christ is risen. He's coming again. But in between his coming, the battle still rages. And if somebody told you that becoming a Christian means that you, you, you go on easy street, leave that person because that's not true you're going to follow Jesus, and that's the choice I want you to make, you are going to experience hardships. But until Christ returns, we're going to see the struggle, but there is coming an end, an end to death. And so I'm here this morning to tell you that the resurrection of Jesus and all the witnesses that saw him, and I believe they saw him, it's at the heart, it's the heartbeat of this congregation because without it, this church couldn't exist. Without it, we wouldn't have any of these songs that we're singing. We'd just be wasting our time singing these songs. But Christ is indeed risen. And what I want you to do this morning, if you've never done this before, I want you to give your life to Jesus. It's that, that simple. I want you to give your life to Jesus, because the only way you can be saved is by trusting in the work that Jesus did. And the reason why we know that his ability to save is real and is powerful, check the tomb again. It's empty. Everything that he said has now been validated because of his resurrection. If you died tonight, God forbid, but if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity where would you spend eternity if you died tonight? Would you be with Christ? Would you be separated from Christ? On a day like today, I want you to know that Jesus is here. He has opened the gates of salvation. He has opened the door. He has opened up the way for all of us, whatever your problem is, whatever mistakes you've made in your life, whatever difficulties you're going through, Jesus has opened up the doors of salvation, and he's saying to you this morning, come, come. Anybody who comes to me, I'm not going to turn him away. He stands ready to forgive. He stands ready to save. He stands ready to take away your fears. And I'm wondering if you would pray with me right now. Let's just pray together. And if you feel the Lord is tugging at your heart, if you feel, yeah, I've been going to church for a long time, but the reality is I really don't feel like I'm fully trusting Jesus. He's not my Savior. Then I want to ask you to come to Jesus today. Allow him to be the Lord of your life. And I want you to just pray this prayer with me. You could pray it out loud. You could pray it in your heart. But this is your moment to embrace the offer of salvation. Dear Lord Jesus, I come before you today with all that I am, with all that I've done, with my successes and with my mistakes. I thank you that you're a loving Savior. I thank you that you have the power to forgive me and change me from within. And I ask you to do that now. Change me. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord and the Savior of my life today. 
Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name.